0: and welcome to The Point of Everything. Today on the show, interviews with Junior Brother and Katie Kim. And after that, new music at the end of the show comes courtesy of Galway artist John Dogg. But let's get straight into it. Junior Brother has just released his second album, The Great Irish Famine, TGIF, if you prefer. It's brilliant. It's album of the year good. It follows his debut Pull the Right Rope in 2019 which was nominated for the Choice Prize and he's always had a way with words has young junior but there's lines in here that are startlingly good and it's laugh out loud funny like his debut see how can she love a human potato and this is my body but there's Good Friday as well which is as beautiful a song as you'll hear all year as he sings I will keep you always in my mind that's over a beautiful guitar line too. And then the last two songs, "No Snitch and The Long Meadows are just a stunning way to go out. A one-two punch that I've had on repeat all week. I'm used to Junior's singing voice, been following him for a while, but maybe some people still find it a bit abrasive. But I think it adds so much to a song and it's absolutely sensational next level across the whole 52 minutes of TGIF. For example, Given In The Dark. So yeah, I love the album. Could go on a bit more about it, but we have an interview to get to. I also loved talking with Junior Brother. We talked last week, a day ahead of the album's release, and it's almost like a track by track, a little bit of a jumbled track by track chat, maybe, as we touched on most of the songs on the album in a roundabout way. If you want more, of junior's backstory he was on tpoe 155 a couple of years ago so you can search for that in the archive if you would like we'll take a listen to some of no country for young men off the great irish famine and get into the chat which began with a little bit about james joyce as i spotted a copy of ulysses in junior's gaff he's almost through the book so fair play to him for that and inter- With James Joyce. So have you read any other James Joyce's? Ulysses, your first dipping your toes into the Joyce canon.
1: No, I I read um, A Portrait of the Artist as a young man when I was in about um, sixth year, fifth year or sixth year, I think. Uh, I just found it at home. Um, I don't know where it came from. And it was actually actually a very seminal uh, book for me early on. It fairly blew my mind at the time and uh, uh, kind of really got me into songwriting kind of writing in a different way like approaching it in a, in a different way so uh i've only really read that and and ulysses which i haven't finished yet but um yeah they'd make they'd make a big impression on a young fella you know, <laughs> or, or 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 a young one
0: yeah, it's um, it's impressive to be reading Joyce in secondary school. I think I don't know if uh, I. I mean, I only read a portrait of a young man a couple of years ago, like just because mm. you know when people are just you know saying, "Oh, this is one of the best books ever. This is the greatest thing of all time. You've got to read it. This is amazing." It kind of almost puts you off, it doesn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah. It's like um, music that, like bands that that you read, uh, especially when you are first getting into music. I found like you'd read and hear about. You know the bands that you you should like the real music that if you're into music you should like, and then uh, it just puts such hype behind the music itself that when you listen to it it's kind of it's just a different experience than if you go and cold like you know. I
0: I was wondering actually on the way over here I was thinking of questions and I was wondering like are books literature is that an influence on your songwriting like since you mentioned portrait did influence you a little bit.
1: Little bit, yeah, bits and pieces. Like, um, I got very into I, I studied English for a bit in UCC actually, and uh, what you call it, did like uh, modules like on old English and um, Chaucer, like, Chaucer, yeah. and, like, no, <laughs> oh my god, I hated it.
0: I actually hated it, I, I did English as well in UCC, and I, I kind of hated it to be honest. Like,
1: yeah, yeah, did yeah. you major in it? uh
0: I yeah it was english and uh psychology
1: but like right. i see, just
0: i just didn't enjoy any of it, any mm. of it really to be honest
1: see i i minored in english uh, majored in in art so i uh i i was able to like it didn't overwhelm me you know i was able to keep it i i was a, I was able to do my own thing like m- as much as do i uh, was on the syllabus or whatever so um it was in- like it was great because you didn't have to attend that many lectures, but, like, the lectures that I I did attend, <laughs> which were minimal anyway, uh, were really interesting for the most part and kind of turned me on to stuff like uh, The Revenger's Tragedy, which is this, like, restoration play, which is where I got the name Junior Brother from. Oh, there we go. <laughs> and um, stuff like that. So I, I got real into kind of um, uh, stuff that kind of, I felt was giving me a sort of an archaic sort of vocabulary, which I tried to just immerse myself in for a while. So, you know, stuff like, yeah, Chaucer, but like, you know, um, Cyril Turnier, Thomas Middleton, uh, who did the Revenger's Tragedy. Just, yeah, old style stuff, like early Irish lyrics and stuff like that. Yeah, just that that was very informative and ju- just different ways of phrasing things and um, phrasing things so that they sound a bit removed from time or something, you know. I got very interested in that. I'm kind of pulling out of that now, um, kind of being kind of more influenced and in more minimal kind of ways of approaching writing and stuff like that. Um,
0: Why? Yeah. Why are you kind of trying... Pulling away?
1: I uh, don't know. Not consciously. But... Just subconsciously, I suppose. Just you, you, You're always striving to progress or change. So that's just a, a part of that, I suppose.
0: Mm. That's one of the things I was thinking about. Like, listening to the album. I mean, mm. I don't know if it's... Kind of writing in the abstract. But it's not, like, obvious... Maybe what some of the songs are about. Mm. You know, you have to kind of work with some of them. Which I think is good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like that's that's good i like I, I i like that and um just not not having all the answers for people you know i, I i'm into that in, in in all in all forms of of art and stuff
0: is is it just like the influence the influences musically have changed that kind of make you change your um uh writing style or is it just uh you want to change yourself
1: I'm not. I'm not sure. It. It wouldn't really be too much of a conscious thing, to be honest. Um, songwriting in itself is, has never been a conscious thing for me at all. Um, I just kind of let it happen. So changes, things that are different from other things I've created or written, uh, are usually just stuff that just goes through me and I just follow it. So it's it's all instinct, really. And it's like you go where the instinct takes you and that could come from stuff that you're consuming or it could come from somewhere else. Um, So I I, I I, don't really know really. It's just, I suppose it's what interests you as well, where you are. um, And like if if you're writing in a certain style, you kind of start changing that just for a change really. Because it's, it's better crack to be mm-hmm. changing than to just be staying the same, I suppose.
0: So do you find songwriting easy?
1: No. I don't. Um no. It's a pain in the arse really. <laughs> I have to, to write honest. a new song. Yeah. But you keep coming back, not because you have to, but because when it when it happens it's so glorious. There's nothing that you can compare it to when you when it all locks into place and you have you have a song that that you're you're drawn to to go back to and to go back to and to go back to whether that's to rework it or just to just because you can't get out of your head since you've created it that's when you know you've you've created something that works really well so like as much as you'd be sitting in front of the blank page going why the fuck did i waste three hours just sitting here just coming up with nothing fuck it anyway closing the notepad and going uh, I, all this stuff I should have done and I wasted it on this you know another day you'd sit down and you know you'd have that glorious feeling at the end of it instead so that feeling is kind of what what you'd be pursuing really like and then sharing that feeling with, with other people is what it's all about really and it makes it makes the tough bits worthwhile then did
0: you have a song on the new album that you particularly struggled with that like was was really tough to to reach the end line.
1: Just mm. um, you know, the album took so long that some of the songs feel so old to me now that I I can barely remember even writing them. Let me think. No, none of them really in the songwriting were that much of. I wouldn't say were that much of a struggle to be honest. It all kind of really, really fit into place in a way, like songwriting wise. This one um like the the intro song took took a long time actually that that was probably the most daunting like creatively part of the whole thing to pull off As a team, to come back to for the rest of the album it was such an important. It was such an important part of the whole album, that opening track, um, and I'd never done anything like it before. Just like this kind of symphonic, minimalist like piece, that's just like one or two notes that that just get bigger and bigger and bigger and then stop. Went through a few drafts of that, me and me and my buddy Gart Quinn Redmond who did the strings, on the album. I remember even being in the studio with him and like like uh, he'd do one track and then like grand next track and then he'd go over what he did and then right next track and then he'd go over what he did and each one had to be um, each one had to be slightly more intense than the last but it couldn't be it couldn't be too much either it was like layering up and I'd be like as he'd go through the track like conducting him with my hand telling him to get to get louder and louder and louder and louder and then we'd go and listen to it all back and one of them wouldn't be right, have to do it again. So it was really like and then we had to like start all over again a couple of times. So funny enough, yeah, the intro track was the was the biggest struggle. But huh. uh yeah.
0: Even though it's got no lyrics.
1: Even though it's got no lyrics at all. <laughs> and I'm not even I don't even play on it, so
0: yeah. All right. Um what about a track that I know is quite old, just because I I'd, I'd say I've seen you play it at among the first shows that i would have seen yet no snitch mm-hmm. i'm guessing that's a pretty old song like is the version that's on the album different to those early versions or was was that always finished like early on you knew it was er- finished
1: yeah that that was actually i think that's the only that might be the only song maybe and tell me i'm a fool as well i think they're the only songs that are from the first like the first sessions in the studio I think most of the other ones were done again. But No, no Snitch, I think, was done on the first day. And uh, so that, that's the oldest recording on the album. All right. That was back in like 2019, I think. That was recorded. The, pre,
0: the pre-days.
1: When, uh, when the world hadn't ended yet. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that, that's the oldest recording, but it's not the oldest song. Um, there's very old songs. Um, this Is My Body, I think, is the oldest song. I wrote that the same week I wrote uh, my song "Hungover at Mass," and because um, I wanted to write another funny song, but it ended up being a ver- what I consider a very kind of sad song, but a very hopefully uplifting song. Um, and yeah, so that that's the oldest song on the album. That that must make it twenty fifteen, I'd say twenty
0: sixteen, twenty fifteen. That I wrote that, and and why did you like? you always just kind of have it in your back pocket and you're like where where will this fit into yeah
1: songs have their time you know and you you kind of need to gauge that uh it's kind of an unspoken thing nearly um with albums as well you have songs that you'd love to release but they don't fit into the album and also with arrangements as well i didn't have an arrangement for that song for a long time and then i demoed an arrangement that i was really happy with and it it brought new life into the song and that was after the last record, so I said, right, this is going on the next one, you know.
0: And the album title, uh, I, I saw you say online earlier, you, you gave it the initials, which I hadn't realised, TGIF. Thank, thank God it's Friday, The Great Irish Famine. Where, where did that come from? Coincidence?
1: Yeah. It's been released on a Friday. Oh. There's a song called Good Friday on the album. Oh
0: God, oh, it's See, all it's fitting all, together.
1: I'm also in the Illuminati as well, so there is that. Uh, it doesn't address,
0: <laughs> it doesn 't address the the famine on it does it are there any songs that tackle the famine is it a, a no. period that you're particularly interested in
1: um i suppose yeah but it's it's nothing to do with with uh the actual history history side um it's all it's in the line is in one of the songs as well so the the long meadow is the last song on the album yeah it's just it's there's, there's a good few reasons i I called it that including that reason uh it's kind of hard hard to put it into i haven't really been able to put it into words yet uh why you called it yeah yeah <laughs> but just that its it's the, it's just f- feels perfect and um again instinct always wins out so and especially if the instinct is coming from a number of places where you're like right this has to be this has to be the thing. That's That was the same with the name, picking the name, my name, um, picking the name of the last record, picking the name of my EP before that. It was always just like you look at the name and you listen to the music and it's just perfect. It feels to you, you know? And uh, beyond that, in terms of reasons that can be explained, like I'd rather kind of, for the moment anyway, leave it in hanging up there yeah it's, so it's like some it, it of the can songs. be caught in different ways by the listener each listener you know
0: it's like some of the songs you know you have to do your own work which is which is good exactly. as well
1: but i understand it's a bold it's a bold title so people want to know but maybe at some stage i'll explain yeah but i'll have a few explanations i'm trying to trying to formulate them properly before i put my foot in my mouth
0: <laughs> well when i remember like when i started out like doing interviews you know one of the questions that i realize that people just hate listening to and also being asked are uh where did you come up with the name of your you know like junior brother where do you you know it's a good answer but like nobody really wants to think about like why they came up with that answer and maybe it's the same with album titles as well yeah it just sounded right
1: yeah 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 i suppose but also if i'm listening to an interview with someone who like I really want to find out everything about a project. Like, I kind of do want to know those things as well. Oh, okay. But you also understand when you're told you're not getting an answer. It's like, okay, right. I'm going to have to find my own answer. And then that's more fun then, in a way. Because sometimes it it puts too much of a full stop on the uh, listeners' duties. You know, like the answer. And then that's, okay, right. That's my work as a listener done then, but it's it shouldn't be the, the the exchange between the you know artist and the consumer should go on for a, a long time uh, like a game of ping pong. Yeah, it just it just yeah makes it more interesting and it just allows for a more personal um, response I suppose, from each person. Hopefully, it's not a frustrating answer. No, but. If people get very frustrated, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get to formulating my answers at some stage. Will hold you to it. Maybe, maybe. Yeah.
0: When did you start working on the album? You mentioned twenty nineteen. Is it? Is it? Was it all done then, or have you been working on it since? as all?
1: Well? I started working on it like as soon as soon as the last album was released, basically. So maybe like like I was on tour when that album came out in the States, and then I came back. I think I did a tour in the UK and Ireland. And then basically when it was all finished, I uh, I went into the studio then uh, to start work on it. And before, before the pandemic began, I had actually, I had finished the album or what I thought was finished. Um, I think it was like eight or nine tracks long. And... Different, different order of the track listing and stuff. I don't think I had that intro song or anything I had a different song at the end and I was like, I remember at the Choice Awards in February 2020 when I was at that people were like so what, what are you at now? And I was like oh I have the next album finished. And people were like what? And I was like yeah it's all done and then I was ready to go and uh, start mixing it and kind of like finish off one or two like things that needed to be recorded and then uh and and then this thing happened. Uh, I'm not sure if you heard of it. But uh so I I went back down to Kerry for like two and a half months and uh yeah, just completely changed around the track listing, wrote a couple of new songs and the whole kind of t- tone of the album changed. Uh and, But
0: why why did you do that though?
1: Um I don't. I don't know. I just. Yeah. Just. Just. I, just the circ. Everyone's circumstances changed, so minded as well. So I just kind of my outlook on the album changed, and uh, writing a couple of new songs changed the. Uh, kind of changed the mood of the album as well, and yeah, just when when you're when, when you're when you go from being really busy to being thrown into a load of free time, you've loads of time to think and to overthink as it turned out as the fucking pandemic rolled further along. But that time to just think about everything was really valuable at the start. Uh, It really made me step back and just breathe in the old, you know, career (laughs) and uh, take a few walks and just think about the album in a different way. And um, just the themes and, the, the 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 different sounds that uh respond to each other throughout the album and yeah it it gave it more it put put more themes into my head that that c- could exist and already existed in the album so yeah the tracklist changed it went from like eight tracks to 13 tracks and uh and uh yeah so by the time i w- i went back the studio was was in county down so Went from Kerry to Dublin to Down, and fin- finished off the album, and then mixed this with uh, John Spud Murphy, and had a master done it. A- but every step, like including the pandemic, like besi- even besides that, every other step like took about ten steps with this album, you know. Except for and you you highlighted it actually the the actual songwriting, except for the songwriting which actually, uh, you reminded me there, actually all fell into place rather snugly. You know, every song was like, like um, there's a song on the album King Jessup's Nine Trials. And that's the first song I've ever written uh, and haven't written one like it since where it was just stream of consciousness. It just all came out and the first draft is, is what you hear, you know. So things really fell into place that way. It was just um, everything after that that took ages, you know.
0: Yeah, that King Jessup song is one that I wanted to ask you about. Um you you do a thing maybe at the at the start of it and then towards the end, because it's nine minutes, so it's hard to remember everything that happens. It's it's not quite scatting, but it's like you're I don't know what you're actually doing with your voice. You're kind of like, uh, and then you're you're kind of you know, yelping almost. Mm. Was that something do you know what I'm talking about? Uh um, you know the part that I'm talking about?
1: The bits were uh well, neither did he, then neither did he, then neither did Is that bit. Uh,
0: no, it's actually like the noises that you're making. Um, yeah, Is that I, bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's the same. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay, right. It's no- oh, I thought I'm... it was just.
0: Da-da-da-da. I thought it was just noises you were making.
1: Yeah, well, it's kind of it's supposed to sound a bit like that anyway, um, because it turns into that anyway. Again, that's an that's an older song. Um that was that was actually written um after the you know, the, the mother and mother and baby home in tune that thing came to light. It's like written directly as a response to that. So that's uh, four years ago, I think. Yeah, twenty seventeen, yeah. I think I have in my five, head. four or five years I ago, so. yeah. Um so yeah, it's a while ago. But yeah, I, I I wanted that song to be like, to, to to like, it's like about the, the the humanity of uh, Christianity getting lost over a long time. And uh, I wanted to reflect that in the, the lyrics disintegrating as well. So it goes from, um, if I don't want to die for cowards, then neither did he. And then I repeat, then neither did he until it just becomes kind of Irish sounding lilting. So it's sort of like, the corruption of the original message of something, uh, and in my own experience, that's in in Ireland. So, I wanted that that corruption of the message to to be through an Irish prism. So that's why King Jessup is uh, is is Jesus. So, Jessup sounded like an Irish name to me. So, it's like the corruption of even his name uh, in a through an Irish prison is was supposed to reflect the corruption of the original message in, wow in how in how that happened in ireland so that's what the song's about here's me now explaining everything and i just said five minutes ago i wasn't going to explain anything but there you
0: go well look i mean i come seeking answers and yeah yeah i thank you well, for i'm an open answers. Book, you know? i mean I, I don't think that i would have uh, well i mean i've only listened to the album a few times but i hadn't picked up on on that like that's a pretty heady heady subject to tackle and it's a really interesting approach to it as well.
1: Yeah, well again it's just it's instinct. You know, it's not it's not it's not going out to get anyone or anything. It's just genuine, like honest instinct, you know. And hopefully the that honesty in the instinct comes comes across, you know. And yeah, well, you know, whatever. It's it is what it is.
0: Do you think you're a confident songwriter and singer now? Do you think you're more confident than you might have been on the first album after like all of the gigs that you've played as well? Um, like confident to follow your instinct as well, I suppose.
1: Um, I suppose yeah. I think I'm I'm more confident in like using space rather than just uh, like I think on the first record There was a lot of like trying to get people's attention all the time, like maybe, you know, subconsciously, but just kind of throwing everything kind of at the listener in a way.
0: Like overloading a song almost?
1: Yeah, kind of. Or just just like every there's some like something has to be things have to be exciting every second, you know, Uh, which I still like. But on this record, I very much like would question that instinct and just be more comfortable to sit into space a bit more you know and also to like to both. i think i've become more confident i don't know if confidence is the right word but just more um interested in like because a lot kind of there's a lot of influences that go into what i do and hopefully they can all be kind of they can all be felt or heard but um, so I think like there's like a number of avenues in the last record that I kind of touched on. And I think on this album, I went down each avenue like really far and really extremely um, so that there is like more conventional writing that's even more conventional than this album. There is more darkness that's even darker on this album there's more experimentation that's even more experimental and because of that I'm very proud of this album because I think I managed to do that and in my opinion it's it's also it also all ties together as an album and it's not too erratic you know that was what the main goal of this album I think was to to do that and also to 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 give the whole album a sense of um a sense of you know wholeness you know that it all ties together and and isn't too isn't too yeah isn't too erratic it all ties together despite going down different avenues very extremely which can sound a bit too scatty that's the trick really
0: and do you think vocally you've changed much or uh i mean i saw i saw someone i can't remember who compare your voice to richard dawson i don't know is that an influence is that someone that you were thinking about someone who uses his voice almost like not to scare off the listener but really add something to it as well you know like he's singing a song he's singing a lyric and but you're also paying attention to how he's singing it
1: too yeah um i i do really like richard dawson but i i'm not sure if he's if he's an influence really um Maybe more subconsciously, but, uh, yeah, like, it's just it's just another color in the palette, really, is how I view it. Even, like, singing in an accent or whatever that you speak in, it's just, it's not really the same accent, even, like, it's because uh, you're not speaking, you're singing, so. I'd, yeah, I just view it the same way I view how I'd strike a string with, with my nail or how I'd approach a rhythm. It's just all. Uh, it's it's just all creating a structure and then like, different colors on top of it. And each thing is a, just a different color and they're all equal. So, that that's that's how I'd view it. Really, um, yeah. I suppose like there's sort of, Shannon Ch- singers. I'd be very, like De- uh, Desio Hellerin, um, he was a fit. Fiddle player and a and a Shannon singer, huge influence on how I'd kind of approach singing. Um, if there's anyone I'd love to sing like it's it's Desi O'Halloran, you know, just uh, really, really weird voice, but really beautiful and evocative of landscape and emotion. Just yeah, kind of nearly avant garde the way he used to sing. And people like Joanna Newsom as well. I'd be very influenced by. But like Andy Irvine as well was a huge early influence. Just yeah, I I could name loads more that there's bits of that I could pull out. But it's It's just a colour in the palette that I got from somewhere deep in here. <laughs> points to head. That is probably that was probably taken from loads of places that I can't recall
0: yeah um i should i should have asked this earlier when you were talking about adding more songs to the album down in Kerry water some of the like are there brand new songs on the album as well that were written like during that heady time of 2020 yeah like, spring summer 2020
1: well there was only to my shame one song that was actually during the lockdown i i had real trouble like i was good at like thinking and overthinking things and changing things <laughs> but not too great at creating you know because I kind of like, it probably happened to a lot of people, um, I know like we're all sick of talking about the mm. lockdown, but this album took so long that a lot of it comes from then too, But or some of it anyway. Um, yeah, I really struggled like uh, creating or writing when I was down home, even though like where I'm from is so uh, crucial to like what I do but uh, and how I write. But it's funny when I was actually placed back there, I couldn't do a thing, you know. But I did, I wrote a song called Good Friday off the album, and that's, that was written very much in the middle of that first lockdown. I woke up with the melody, the, the, the old cliche, I literally became part of a cliche when it happened. I was like, I remember listening to, I think it was Paul McCartney saying he woke up with the melody of Yesterday in his head. And I was, I was like, fuck off, like that didn't happen. <laughs> you go ahead, yeah, like, it's a good story, like, but that did not happen, like. <laughs> Like you wake up with songs that you heard on the radio the previous day you don't just you're not just handed one in your sleep and wake up with it, you know, <laughs> yeah. but it's a good story it that actually did happen to me anyway, so sorry, Paul, if you're listening um he's a big fan he's a big fan, yeah, um so I woke up with the melody in my head and I ran down to the guitar and wrote it uh, so that was the only song I wrote actually during lockdown, so that's that that would be the most recent one on the album, but The Long Meadows then was also quite close, I was I was away on tour across Europe and I, d- I wrote it as a poem on the train the whole thing just as a poem, and it d- didn't change a word when I put it to music so the words really led the music for that, for that song yeah, it was crazy because it was um, it was written before you know, Covid came in February 2020 but now I, 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 just you know, listening back, looking back on it, it fe- it feels like, and I sing it with the feeling of like the last three years, you know, and it it kind of feels a bit not prescient, but it it kind of feels like I was prepared for something cataclysmic to happen. <laughs> the whole album kind of feels like that to me. It's like it's like someone who's prepared. Who's got a seatbelt on, prepared for a, a, an impact? Do you know? Not knowing where it's coming from, and that sort of dread hangs over the whole album. And um, the fact that you know that came in the form of a global thing, was, you know, was you know maybe you know we were all expecting that, or we weren't, but um, and like song like Life's New Haircut, which completely. The meaning of that totally changed Do you know that's one of the older songs as well Wr- wrote that probably 2017 2018 as well and uh now it's like and when when it came out lots of people said oh it's it's such a you know a comment on uh on like post lockdown and stuff but it's written way before all that uh so yeah there was kind of spooky things like that for me about the album looking back But then again, you know, like you could, you could say that such a cataclysmic event is so ingrained in our heads now that it can change your, it can change your hindsight and everything, you know?
0: Yeah, just you, you talking about it there makes me think of the final little bit of the album where you're uh, tightening a string. Did that, is is that one of the ideas behind it? Like the cataclysmic, like, it's going to snap eventually and also like like i mean like i'll i'll, I'll do that in, if i ever do a thesis on you you know i'll be like oh, this, is, this is it? and did that take a long time to do is that one take or is it like the opener it took a while to get the right snap
1: Yeah, it was it, it. was done in a few like layers, yeah. It was the only song on the whole album where um, the guitar and the tambourine and the vocals weren't done together in the same take. Um, just cause I, I really wanted to get it really right. And it was one of the newer ones as well. So I, I and I had never played it live yet because there was no gigs. Um,
0: and think of all of the strings that you'd break as well, you know, it's yeah. an expensive
1: song to be playing. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. That, that felt like the right way to end the album.
0: Some other songs that I wanted to ask you about. The, the first song you've already um, mentioned and Daily as well. Like they're the only instrumentals, I think, aren't they, on the album? Yeah. Are they improvisational? Or are they, you know, do you have it all like to plan? You've played them a few times and stuff, or are they kind of, let's see what happens with these?
1: In terms of how they're written, like yeah. how they're arranged. Uh um yeah well the opening was uh, like yeah i i had the concept i i wanted the album to start with which is a fucking mad idea really i wanted the sound of an orchestra to go from one note to uh, to just go from one note from one violin to a whole orchestra and then for that to be taken away and then to go into like a really bare just guitar and tambourine sound and that'd be the start of the album uh just because there's the, one, of, one of the big tonal sort of themes of the album is uh is emptiness so which again is yeah you're drawing it out of me now that, that's that's good. part of that's the good. reason it's called it has the album title as well damn you're a good one but um so yeah just just like um yeah a feast or a you know um so that that juxtaposition through the whole album of like very huge, very uh, luscious like bigness with very stark bareness and kind of no in between, that was at one of the tonal themes I wanted to get across. So that was the concept of of, of the the opening track was to, was to make a huge sound and then take it away from the listener, so that they're left with the emptiness of of the other side of the album. And then those strings come in like the that last song you were referring to the Long Meadows, the end of that uh w- one of the takes we did of the opening track that wasn't um eventually used uh was w- for the opening was used at the end of the Long Meadows, so to book in the album and just for that uh song at the end, it sort of feels like the anxiety that has hung over the album is met with face to face for that song. And then that kind of bursts a hole through the album. And then we get that, you know, huge garden sound of the first song getting bigger and bigger. And it's like, oh, great. You know, after all that emptiness, we we have the fullness here. It's getting bigger and bigger. Here it comes. And then it's snatched away one last time. And you're left with that string tightening at the end. So, you know, it's very it's it's yeah, it's it's quite a conceptual album. In that way, but again, in in, an ab, in a sort of an abstract, like not in a prog rock concept album way, but tonally, do you know. And that that would have come from lockdown and overthinking stuff, do you know. Dolly's well then. Um, oh, not Daly's. Oh well, th- that's 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 how I I'd, I'd pronounce it. Yeah, Dolly. Yeah, is
0: that like Colin and Cocklin or something like that? It's a kind of a Kerry <laughs> a kind of. Dolly,
1: i've it, never I've never heard of it's it it's related to, to Collins, which should be called Cocklins and yeah, it's called Collins because uh cork people like to be awkward. I feel I can say that because I was born in the Bonds. <laughs> but uh no, I can't really say that, and I'm only joking <laughs> but yeah no it's just it's a as it, well yeah it's similar it's yeah it's a similar thing just it's just yeah it's it's sort of it's is it the scene of, of a of a of of a murder that happened down the road from from where I live at home and uh, they're, they're, they're called the the, the Dallies, yeah but um so yeah um again con- that came from the concept of there's a walk so like again kind of it, it was before lockdown where I did lo- this walk countless times but it was uh during the the do you remember the snow the blizzard of like was it 2018 i think mm. and everybody was, was locked. like
0: yeah it was early in the year wasn't it it was like february or something like something that, like it? that yeah.
1: yeah it was written when i was i was living in i was living in like uh the edge of Clondalkin at the time in this place that was like it was like built like over like the m50 and it was just kind of this nowhere land and I found myself in this blizzard trapped inside, so I could, couldn't even go to the shop, you know, because it was far away from the shop as well. So I stayed inside and went a bit mad. So it was sort of pre, <laughs> pre-pandemic pre madness, uh, which suited the album in a way too. But um, so I went a bit mad and I, I wrote a mad song, which turned out to be Dolly's Well. And just the memory of that walk, which is starts at Dolly's Well, which which is a really, you can you can tell something bad happened there it's really like dark with a lot of trees and crows hundreds of crows like screaming at you from the trees kind of like trying to tell you something something fucked up happened here uh, so that you know without asking, but then when you keep if you keep walking past that the road keeps going up and up and you get to the highest point of, of the parish Kilcommon, which is a cemetery so I just thought that was an interesting uh, it was an interesting journey to put into an instrumental song just to to start out with the feeling of of what the crows are telling you at the start and that landscape and then just keep if you just keep walking, it becomes very beautiful then at the end, but in a morbid way still, you know, so it's kind of supposed to it's, it's supposed to it's supposed to reflect that walk from Dolly's well to the top of the hill.
0: Very good. Um, the landlord's hum is that a protest song? Is it about landlords, or is it? Am I taking it at face value there?
1: Um, I know you're 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 pretty much on the money there. Again, it's that it's that red over the album kind of. It's kind the whole album's kind of like trying to figure out what modern anxiety is or something. Do you know what this? It's just this like the first album. Just to compare it with that. Uh, is a very hopeful album that's still very much like romantic and idealized and kind of um, pastoral and very much in nature and in the field. And I feel this one's kind of stepping out of that field into the street, into a more urban kind of thinking. And so because of that, there's that urban anxiety that kind of hangs over the album. So that's in like No Country for Young Men as well. And it's in like the long meadows, but it's it's most kind of abrasively in in landlord's hum, which is uh, which which was just based on um a place I was living in, and the landlord would come over and would be very nice, but would kind of uh, evade kind of um evade certain things that needed to be fixed in the house and stuff like that. and i just I just called it the landlord's hum, you know which is like a hum is sort of you can't really hear it but it's there and it's it can, there get, can get louder and louder until it blows up into violence so which didn't happen but it's that anxiety that that could happen and where you're based could can change at any second you know so it's just it just comes from that anxiety that hangs over the album you know which is which which is a several pronged anxiety and yeah it's just kind of maybe a maybe this is where it comes from you know
0: are there any other songs you want to mention we've talked about a good few today. are there any others that like you're particularly proud of or that you want to discuss what they're about
1: yeah like i'm very proud of all of them they're all like little little children now the album is coming out it's like i'm sending them off to school and uh, hoping they get on get on well with their students and um, with their teachers they get good marks and stuff but uh, even if people hate them I'll, I'll still love them you know
0: <laughs> how did you know that it was finished this time and was it was it just like I can't do anything more to these songs you know that you didn't go back and tinker more with them
1: well you you can always go back and tinker more really like um, which is what I did really with the whole album you know changing the whole track list and kind of rethinking everything uh, the, the different uh, you know the different themes and tones and stuff so that that's a good way of making you think something's finished. But is anything ever really finished, do you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just abandoned, as Oscar Wilde said, like it's just you just have to leave it, do you know. If and like if things if things tie up tonally with you and thematically, that's a good way of tricking your mind into thinking something's finished, do you know? But uh the the thing the thing that makes it tr- truly unfinished is that is that relationship with the listener to keep going you know where things things are left hanging a bit so that they can be they can be played with by the listener and you know different perspectives can be can be got and that makes it live longer and is that ever really finished either do you know
0: <laughs> very existential <laughs> And so there, did Spud add much to the album? Was he just recording? Did he have much in, input and influence on what it sounds like?
1: He did, yeah. Julie McLaren, who who produced the album with me and uh, enge- helped engineer it as well, and whose studio we used, uh, you know... In, helped, in Down. In Down, yeah, Up and Down. Uh, help, helped in a big way as well, uh, as did the landscape of where the studio is. You know, the last record was done with Chris Barry, which was a fantastic experience, um, and the kind of landscape of the studio there, it's like in the middle of Dublin, in the middle of this um, kind of industrial estate. So like in the last song of the first record, at the very end, you can hear a siren very dimly in the background. And that was the one thing, before it was that album was released, I was like, fuck it. The whole album is like away from like, those sort of noises. And then at the very, very end, a really sh- one of the shrillest modern sounds you can hear comes in a fucking siren, you know. But I love it now, you know, listening back. That that's like a marker of where it was recorded. This album though, you can like at the very end you can hear birds, you know. And that that was just from the window being left open. So at the very end of the last record you hear a siren, the very end of this record you hear birds and completely by chance. So um again it just marks where where it was recorded. And uh, it was just, yeah, so beautiful to look out the window and to see field upon field, you know, which reminded me of looking out the window at home when I started recording myself. So it really put me in that place. Spud then came along and uh, graciously mixed it. And did he? yeah, he did a huge, he made a huge impact on the sound of the album as well. And in fact... Did some recordings as well and some additional production, um. like, for example, King Jessup's Nine Trials. That was just me for a long time. That was just a solo track. And because it's so long and stuff and part of the overthinking I went through with the album, I was actually very close to cutting it. Even though now I'm like, you fucking idiot. Why would you even think that? It's like it's one of the centerpieces of the whole album. Like, you know, again, thematically, it's so important and it's in the middle of the record and stuff. I was just going to cut it because it was an older song. It was so long and it was just me on my own. Spud said when we were mixing it, did you have any um, arrangements in mind for this song? And I was like, I didn't know, but to be honest, like I'd be up for if you wanted to do something to it. Like this is the one track that I've kind of lost a bit of connection with or something just because, you know, there was no fresh arrangements to kind of, Make it live for me as much as it did, maybe when I wrote it. And he was like, "Right, okay." And he called up uh, Dan Walsh from Fixity, amazing musician who's actually now in my band. Uh, amazing person as well. Uh, he just called him up, got got him up from Cork, uh, as only Spud can do. You know, he he can summon people from anywhere because it's Spud. You know, got down into the studio over in uh, Xavier Street in the North Strand east wall area and um got Dan to do load takes of just improvised saxophone and flutes and did like take after take and Spud just did his magic on it and he did that and then took what Dan recorded and like did his what i can just describe as his his magic he's sort of like a fucking wizard or something he really has a certain spudness <laughs> i can describe it as that that only he can kind of do and i was so beautiful when he sent me the track then and he was like what you think of this and like completely just it became my favorite track on the album, like.
0: So you're happy him kind of working away on it and then kind Are of you, sending it. Yeah. I usually
1: wouldn't be, do you know, but just that track was one that I was just, I kind of lost sense of it or something. And then that just brought the sense back into it. And I, geez, like I nearly cried, like when I heard it with what he had done, you know. It's funny, these things can just shine a new light on on something. And I was like, Jeez, this is this is this is just so this is exactly what it needed, you know? And it was so subtle but so powerful and yeah, so happy with that. Um
0: Did he add much drones to the album? Really
1: he, he's a man <laughs> who loves a drone. He does. He loves a drone, does but no, no. Everything else apart from that was like I was control freak about you know from the very start to the very end you see the vision yeah at the very start i kind of let go because i was like all right i did that for the last album let me let go a bit for this one and like i i recorded it to tape which uh, i'd never done before as well so that was a new experience so uh, i kind of i i let my hands uh, away from that one as well because julie know knew what she was doing so much and that side of things um there were difficulties there too for me because, you know, because I'm so into controlling everything that I do in my music that I, I had to le- lose a bit of control there too. Um, but that led to, to moments of beauty as well, you know. Um, but for the most part, I had my hands on really for the whole thing um, from start to finish, even the mixing. I kind of I kind of regret in a way like being so involved in the mixing because Spud was so great to like say, yeah, you can come in like from the start to the end. But I'd never done that before. And I don't think an artist should really get that involved into the technical technicalities of it, especially during a global pandemic where you're <laughs> we going insane anyway and overthinking about everything. So I and maybe Spud too went went a little bit insane during the mixing process. And it took a long time to, um, but yeah like spud was yeah he, he he was a huge uh played a huge part in the album as well and we i've done more stuff with him that's that's yet yet to be released for for more projects too so it's a good relationship there and uh, he just he he adds a lot i think to everything he does you know
0: I've only heard artists say, like, great things about him. Like, I talked to Katie Kim and I did it at the studio and, you know, she was saying great things about him. He did the sound for Ye Vagabonds, had another love story there a couple yeah. of uh, weeks ago as well.
1: He d- he adds a lot to, like, acoustic-based stuff as well, you know, I find. So that's why I think a lot of folk acts, sort of, if you like, want want to work with him. Yeah,
0: I mean, Dara from folk Lancome something. called him uh, called him the fifth member of Lancome, So yeah, so there you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I was going to ask: Did you have more stuff that you you've been working on? Obviously, obviously, you do. The well hasn't run dry.
1: No, it hasn't. I've I a bit too much on the plate, nearly, um, which isn't a bad complaint. But uh, m- mad to get to get going on it. I wrote and demoed and arranged a whole another album. Um, <laughs> album number three yeah th- like the, the first time when, d- d- during the first lockdown in 2020 when when i i um wasn't able to write anything as soon as i came back to dublin then i kind of the the creative juices started flowing and then i came down home again during one of the other fucking <laughs> lockdowns uh and then when i was locked down at home again that's when i i started to to really get going so i wrote a whole album when i went down to it the second time that's sort of like a map through that time from the middle of it and then the end of it and then after it like chronologically so that's all that's all done and just ready to be sort of recorded and then I have a sort of a another thing that's all done just needs to be mastered so wow um so yeah there's, there's a lot I'm sitting on now so I'm looking forward to getting going and all that for sure
0: Great. Uh, Last question, uh, just because I know that uh, we've been talking for a while. Would you prefer to be living down in Kerry? Are you happy kind of splitting your time between Dublin and Kerry? It sounds like that's kind of a good place to retreat to.
1: Yeah, well, like, you know, as I said, the first time when I moved down in 2020, uh, when, you know, when the world stopped spinning for a bit, uh, if you like, I I, kind of couldn't do anything. Um, It was only when I moved away and thought back that I was able to so I think I think home kind of is more powerful in my head in a creative sense than actually being in it so it's sort of it's sort of the imagined landscape of home for me that's more helpful to me creatively than actually being in it which is a strange thing but it's sort of the same as homesickness I suppose you know it's you get such a powerful yearning for for just the atmosphere of where you're from and then and then when you go back it's fantastic but it's more it's it's less intangible then and it's more uh, you're living in it and you're focused on living day by day in it than just dreamily kind of trying to remember the feeling of home you know and it's that feeling that that imaginary looking back on home that that's more Helpful, and more powerful for for me, you know. So, I do love living in Dublin, uh, in in my lovely flat here, where, where we're sitting in uh, in the south side of Dublin, uh, and Dublin's very inspirational to me as well. So, you know, home's always there to go back to, and then I can I can leave before bef- before I go ins- too insane, you know. You know, a few few days is good, and then I'm like, okay, I might might go back to Dublin. And oh, there's a few things I need to need to get back to. But yeah, I, I I love both, you know, but I do love home more deeply, in a creative sense. I think at the moment, anyway, it's it's better to be away from it, but it's it's good to go back too because you can't forget it either. And um, loved ones and family are more powerful than anything else. at The end of the day,
0: so. Oh. Jeez, I mean, what a way to end, end, the, end the chat. There you go. There we go. Lovely way to end. Thanks for the chat.
1: No better. Good to see you. Water freezing in the season of the drought Out to water, back, to bail like again The ordinary day Glee, the moon Pull a body in Never asked for, nor neither refused Happiness like nausea comes and goes Though the text is written There is error in the prose I led you forever for what you've
2: done Forever, they need you forever for what you
0: do. That's the sensational, no snitch from Junior Brother off the Great Irish Famine. You can buy it on Bandcamp. Go buy it on Bandcamp. That's an order. It's a stunning album. Just so, so good. The studio and down. That he mentions during the chat by the way is analog catalog studios junior brother only has a couple of dates announced for the rest of the year he plays fall right into place festival at Clare galway on sunday september 18th we chatted with adam malarkey last week she's also playing that festival over the weekend so it sounds like it's gonna be a really really nice weekend Junior Brother is also playing Night and Day Festival in Castlevay on Saturday, September 24th. And then October 28th, a Friday, for those wondering, he's playing The Button Factory in Dublin. I can't wait to see him live again. Can't wait to see those TGIF songs live. Now, next up is another potentially enigmatic artist, Katie Kim, who releases Hour of the Ox this Friday, September 9th. Her fifth full-length album, the press release that arrived in the middle of summer announced that the Dublin-based artist enters a new epoch as it is set to be her concluding work under the Katie Kim moniker. The press release continues. Hour of the Ox tells a story of longing and desperation for something different, an incompatible, disparate, but devoted view of the world told through lush strings and orchestra of synthesizers and live minimalist-style drums. Katie Kim has released a couple of the best albums of the last decade in covering Flood, which was 10 years old, last March just FYI, and Salt in 2016. The new album, as you'll hear me try to explain in the interview, sounds bigger than both of those records, and is Katie Kim going out on a high? If this is the last Katie Kim album, what a discography that's been put together. Hour of the Ox was produced, arranged, and recorded by Katie Kim and longtime collaborator John Spud Murphy, with Kate Ellis on cello, Shane O'Brien on violin, Sarah Grimes on drums, Eleanor Myler on drums and rady pete on vocals and the buy-in what's the buy-in i hear you ask i'm glad you asked you'll hear katie kim explain it during the chat (laughs) i didn't know i think i think i just about know what it is now the album launch for hour of the ox takes place on september 10th at the button factory in dublin and it's going to be katie kim's only headline show of the year that's this saturday folks just so you know just so you know And for the interview, I headed over to Spud's Gorilla Studios on the North Strand in Dublin to chat with Katie Kim on a very, very hot day during the summer. I think it was during the heatwave. I feel like this episode of the podcast has almost been like a Spud special, and I'm fine with that. He sounds like a genius, so I was delighted to head into the studios and see where the magic happens. Here's some of the opening track on Hour of the Ox. It's called Mona. under the Katie Kim moniker. <laughs> so why? Why? It must have been a tough decision. <laughs>
3: uh, no. Also, when uh, before, I mean, I I never say never. Okay, because, I mean, obviously there is like six or seven releases that are in the past there and obviously I would like to play some of those songs live possibly in the future again. But album-wise, I just felt that at least even if it wasn't Forever and ever, definitely need a, a kind of a mental break from her or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's very difficult to describe. It just came, it just, it just felt natural. So when this album was kind of done, I kind of just feel like it's been, with, like that name has been with me for a long time. And it, it was it been with me since like the since I was a kid and like making music that I was making was well, since I was like, like 21 or something like that. Uh, so I just kind of feel like I'd like a little bit of a change.
0: Is it just a nickname from when you were a child? Yeah,
3: I used to be in a band called Day Kim. OK. And we released a rec- two records with them. Um, and I was just called Katie Kim because I was in the band Day Kim. Oh, well, there people you go. Couldn't, couldn't remember my second name, <laughs> so they just called me Katie Kim.
0: <laughs> well, straight out the bat, like, there's something I never knew. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Um, yeah. Was it a tough decision? Like, is it a tough decision just to be, like, you're trying to draw a line under it, I suppose? Uh,
3: not really. I mean, I suppose, I mean, it's just because I'm a solo artist. People would probably think of it as more of a dramatic uh, statement than if, like, somebody was in a band and they said they wanted to go and do a different project, you know? So, uh, I don't know, I just kind of feel like it would just be nice to, I think it's more like a psychological thing where I won't, hopefully that when I'm starting to make new music, and I am starting to write new music at the moment, that I don't just kind of fall into my usual tropes of what I would go to all the time, you know, that I feel like sometimes I go to specific instruments or a specific writing format, so I, I'd like to try and step out of it. And I feel like if I'm going to release something under... Uh, a different name or a different moniker. I feel like psychologically hopefully that might help me just step outside the box a little bit
0: why do you want to do that is it is it just trying something new as simple as that yeah Yeah. just like 10 10, 15 years of making music you feel like i I know I know all the chords on the guitar I don't need to do
3: (laughs) (laughs) no but I go to the same instruments and I go to the same effects and I go to the same vocal style and I go to the same um, layering style with vocals and things like that, and I would like to try and not go to those fa- like safe mm. places that I always tend to go to. So I'm trying to, you know, as my hands or my voice goes to a particular thing, I kind of just say no, 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 just try and try and do something else or try something else. And I feel like I would like to just try and do it under a different name. I also I just get bored of things, you know. Yeah. Easily, yeah, really easily. I get bored of jobs, I get bored of the way my room is organised, I get bored of houses, I get bored of, like, I get really bored very easily and I just, I just like to try something new.
0: I'll avoid the obvious question of asking about the pandemic and how you found the boredom of the pandemic.
3: I loved the pandemic.
0: Oh, really? Wait. Okay, okay, well,
3: Take away all But that was
0: incredibly boring.
3: No, I loved it. Like, I work, you know, like, I, I can't sustain myself with music. It's just not, it's not a, it just doesn't work... So I have to work and I also had moved to New York and I was working really hard in New York. I was like, you know, working something like 17 hour days sometimes in this restaurant and the pandemic brought me home and for the first time in I can't remember how long I didn't have to do anything and I was able to go home to Waterford and I had a house to myself. Luckily I was really, really fortunate. My uncle... um, who lives abroad, he was was building this house and he comes back over every now and again to try and get little bits done because he'd like to come back to Ireland and the house was basically done. So he said, look, you know, we can't fly back so you can just take it if you want to make sure that you're taking care of it and it's lived in. And so I was really, really lucky because my sister was going to have to put me up and I would have hated to have had Mm. to like impose myself (laughs) on my sister and her family. But so I got to stay in that house in, in Faithlag in County Waterford for... Uh, months and it was amazing it was beautiful I got to walk this dog every day in like the in in forest and I got to play music again I started listening to music again I hadn't listened to music in so long I loved it I really loved it.
0: Hmm. Uh, did Did you think that Katie Kim might already be finished when you moved to New York? Did you think you might have already drawn it a line uh, drawn a line under it went by moving? Um,
3: no because I mean I think the album was coming like the album was done then when I'd moved over there oh okay um, but I kind of when I came back we just kind of added extra flourishes to it and mixed it a little bit more but it was done um, no I wasn't really thinking about well, I mean I mean mm-hmm. I always think about taking I always think about just not doing it anymore because it's tough to keep going when um, you know it it doesn't help you like pay the rent all the time but eventually I always end up doing it anyway because I could go crazy if I don't make some kind of music or have some kind of creative outlet or whatever but um I don't know if I was I mean maybe I was thinking about it for a while but I yeah I mean it's not a big huge (laughs) I don't look at it like it's a big huge um like thing just to say that oh the next album might not be cage kim when it might be under a different name right just yeah, something. yeah you know what i mean it's just trying something new
0: i'm just thinking of my reaction when i saw it i was just like reading the reading the email or, or something and it was just like oh <laughs> it was just like oh that sounds like a big thing that sounds like a big deal to me so that's why i'm like tell me everything about it how are you feeling
3: <laughs> yeah maybe because it's just been in my head for so long i mean i still i'm still gonna be making music i just would like to try it in a different way differently and just kind of just inhabit like a different world you know than that one that i've been in for the last 15 years you know
0: how was new york did you enjoy living over there i I don't know how long you were over there for
3: oh god so i got like i spent like i got i spent a long time trying to get the visa the artist visa for there and i eventually got it um and i got a two-year visa and then I was living there for six months and then had to come home because of the pandemic. Um, but I loved it. I love New York in general. I mean, I just went back there recently again. But yeah, I just had to work as well. But I end up, I ended up getting this great little studio with um, a friend called Connor. who's actually a friend of Kitzer's. He put me in touch with him and he was like just a fantastic person to meet. And we set up this very cool little cozy studio in there and he had these like really cool amazing like walls of synthesizers that I was allowed to like play (laughs) with and it was really it was really cool and I and I was able to I wrote a good bit there um um in between working and I just was able you know if I was bored at home after work sometime and I wasn't able to go to sleep I was able to just get up and hop on the train and go to like I don't know i gallery that would be open until like 1 a.m. or something. Oh, wow. And like cinemas and things that would be open late. And it was just lovely to be able to walk around and just, yeah, just walk around the city. I just love it. I really love it.
0: Did you see any good gigs, any good shows?
3: Uh, I don't think I went to any gigs. Oh. No, I just worked and rehearsed gigs. No, I think because I had just played a huge amount of gigs myself before going over there. Uh, it wasn't the first thing on my list was to go and see live music
0: oh okay okay
3: it isn't it, it I mean generally, like I said, when I came home from the pandemic, I started listening to music again, which was really nice because i mean just going to gigs or even listening to albums wasn't something that I did for a long time
0: just because you're making your own
3: it just i mean it's a, a lot of other artists that I talk to say this as well like. Like, I mean, when you talk to chefs and they say that they work in kitchens and they just don't want to go home and cook a big fancy dinner or something, you know what I mean? It's like it's it kind of felt like that, like for years uh, I just didn't. I would just go towards like listening to a podcast or watching movies or something like that rather than sitting down and listening to albums that had been a really long time. And then when I came back uh, to Waterford, it was great because I did just... I mean, I think it was actually the Donald Dineen podcast that it was the...
0: Make Me an Island.
3: Make Me an Island. Uh, and I think th- one of the first episodes I listened to was about the voice and the history of the voice and th- the song and the voice. And then I just started listening to that again and then just started kind of falling back in love with listening to, it, to listening to music again, listening to albums again. And then like just seeking out music and listening to a lot of uh, DDR and NTS and just leaving them play all day in the background. And then, you know, ears pricking up whenever you'd hear something that you liked. And slowly but surely kind of like immersing myself in music again. And I I was stuck there, which is good. So, uh, yeah, so that was that's kind of what I mean.
0: Am I right in thinking that you were on Donald's last show on Today FM? I remember listening to that and um, were you were you on his last show? The no, s- he played the small hours.
3: He played um my song. He, so I did it I did the wake. Donald did a wake had a wake in <laughs> um the joinery. So the joinery was actually also going to be closing up pretty soon. So they yeah. had a wake for Donal uh, in the joinery <laughs> and I great. did a set there um, and he, they just used that song over the last...
0: Oh, okay, okay. Episode. He's like someone who just like keeps at it and keeps at it. I think he's like uh, an inspiration to a lot of maybe people like you who he would have played on the shows and like you see him just sticking at it, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. I don't know like what else he would be doing other than just like because he loves music so much and he loves, uh, he's been such a champion of just so many different, like, he's he's really elevated a lot of Irish artists as well, as well as, you know, a lot of world, like, introducing a lot of world artists to people and introducing world artists into, like, the live music scene here and bringing people over here and he's just, yeah, like, I really love him. I really love him. I like, consider him, like, a really close friend and, I'm really grateful to him because I don't know where I don't know where I would be without Donald from the beginning, you know, because he really was like he was the one that played radio for the first time over and over and over again, like nearly every night, you know, on his show, and he, he had a big listenership, so he really helped. Yeah,
0: is that something that you kind of think about now? Do you think that there's less? outlets for your music to kind of get played you know for an, a new sure. audience to find
3: you i mean i've been told it as well to my like a lot of people say to me say sorry you know your music just doesn't it's not like um radio friendly it's not radio daytime radio friendly especially i anyway. no irish music is no well, <laughs> I lo- hear the a lot of irish i <laughs> hear a lot of irish music um that takes over the airwaves <laughs> um yeah there's a certain amount of people like kina Quivon or like Dan Hegarty will always play my stuff and uh, John Kelly is actually Mm. quite good as well. Um, uh, Yeah, so there's a handful of people that will uh, that do play my music. I mean, I don't think it's that like, I don't know. I mean, I've recently had to get feedback because we've been sending the singles and the albums around, we've had to get some feedback from certain places that we've sent them around to and like some people are just like, sorry absolutely not you know <laughs> like not our cup of tea at all not our style and i'm like okay cool okay i get it i didn't think it was mm-hmm. that off the wall um but yeah i mean i'm fully aware of it you know i don't make pop music so
0: yeah um mm-hmm. so when you move back and you're, you say you're listening to to music all day and kind of rediscovering music in a way i'm presuming you've already got the album mostly in the can so there's no real influences in what you've been listening to maybe in the past two years maybe on the on the album is there
3: uh, during the Panda? And no, probably not. I think what myself and Spud were kind of listening to... Well, it was mostly soundtracks that I was um, kind of influenced by. I was heavily listening to Mika Levi. Mm. Eddie, um, and Her
0: soundtrack to Jackie?
3: Um, began with um, the soundtrack to Under the Skin. Oh, yeah. Uh, the soundtrack to Jackie, yes. I think I listened to the Johnny Greenwood soundtrack for You Are Never Really Here like over and over and over again. Like I couldn't take it off. Like it was something that I was just completely obsessed with listening to. So when I say I wasn't listening to any music, I was definitely listening to things like that. Uh, contemporary uh, composers, stuff like that. I mean, big fan of like Stephen O'Malley and KTL and um, kind of the kind of sound art work that he does with like kind of bass tones and drones and things like that so we were really into that so we were listening to that kind of stuff myself and Spud because like normally when I start the process of writing stuff like it's just what I have at home Uh, and it's like basically my keyboard or a guitar and then like my recording software so I'll, I'll bring in something that's really basic like that and then I'll bring it into Spud and then we're able to build it up so that's what we were kind of talking about when we were making the album, those kind of influences, like those droney sounds and effects and things like that. Yeah.
0: Have you always worked with Spud on your music or was this kind of a new, almost col- collaborative affair? No.
3: So um, to begin, the first Katie Kim album, no Spud. Second Katie Kim album, he was actually part of the band. Oh, OK. Um, so he played bass um, and he also did samples and beats and things like that. And then we did Salt Together. We pro- he we I well we recorded and produced Salt Together, and then this album again. Yeah.
0: And so we're in a studio at the moment. Like, uh, what is it like working in here?
3: Well, see, so we're at the moment we're in the live room. So this is where bands would come in to rehearse. Um, And in the back there, there's kind of a vocal booth in behind those doors. So people would go in there to do vocals. But like I was saying to you before we kind of started recording is that I would normally bring my vocals to Spud or I would send them to him um, before I would come down here. So he would already have the vocals in there and then we would basically sit in the mixing room. And that's where we do all all of the stuff. So uh, it's like, uh, what is it like to record here? I mean, it feels very community kind of driven here because there's you know rehearsal rooms and people that we know on either side here that also rent the place and like you know when you go outside for like a break or a smoke or whatever there's you know people that you know like all around all the time doing something else so it's cool in that way and uh, it's definitely a unique place to be with the trains going overhead Uh, but there's so much like history here because you know when When uh, Spud and Ellie and Ian first moved up to Dublin, I was already living here at the time and we kind of found this place. Well, Spud found this place really and uh, we kind of all kind of came in together to try and like make it into something, you know. Um, So, you know, we've all kind of helped. We've all been involved in this space for like nearly 10 years now. So it just feels kind of like very safe and homey and yeah comfortable
0: place to be it's getting a real name for itself as well isn't it like (laughs) likes of uh lancome recording here black midi as well and caroline too did they come over here as well and record that's a 10 piece band i'm kind of wondering where they
3: (laughs) no so that they recorded in hellfire
2: (laughs) oh okay okay
3: yeah 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 but spud would have mixed them here oh okay okay. yeah yeah junior brother uh ready and stuff yeah yeah uh loads of people have recorded here though yeah too many to think of now probably but yeah and then also the live streams that went on here as well during the pandemic like that was also I've done uh like two videos here three videos here it's just it's just like such a versatile space that like people sometimes when you're really stuck for somewhere to kind of go then you know spuds rates are really really sound as well because you know when when anybody is trying to find somewhere to do something whether it be like on an ongoing basis or temporarily it's just like the prices in Dublin are so crazy like for I don't know how artists or musicians can afford it like on top of rent I really just don't understand how people can do it so um Spud really tries to help people out with rates and stuff here and like for coming to rehearse or whatever you know and um, so or if you want to do something like a video or if you want to do something like, yeah, he's just, it's, it's, he's good like that.
0: And, and so coming back to the album making process, like at what stage are you bring it to him? Is it, is it kind of just for your eyes only sort of thing, the lyrics and maybe the music for a while? And then you're like, okay, I think I have something here. And then you're tentatively maybe showing it to people or are you showing it to people from the start?
3: Just bud really. I mean, I wouldn't be like sitting down going, hey, guys, want to listen to my new demos? Like never 100 (laughs) percent. No, I wouldn't subject people to that. Uh, No, I would just I think over it like it takes me a while after an album comes out that I'm probably still tinkering away that there is, you know, loads of little ideas built up. And then when I feel like it's time, it just kind of feels natural when you feel like there's a particular amount of songs or that you think might be good enough to make up the album, then um, then I would come to Spud and I would just kind of maybe a couple of months lead up to when we would first start really going in to mix it, I would probably send him some demos that I think would be good for an album. And then he would kind of say, yeah, cool, we could do this. So we going to share ideas? And um, then eventually we just start to come in and go, OK, what can we do? Can we add this, add this? A lot of the times we like throw everything at the bored you know like we just put everything that we can possibly imagine on it and then it's a process of elimination then afterwards you know so like start to take things away then and say okay we don't need all of this and we don't need all of this and then try and minimalize it then a little bit more um like with this album specifically I think we were really excited about getting live strings in and about getting live synthesized like like synthesizers with the live strings together we thought that would just be we were really excited about that kind of this organic element with these kind of synthesized drone elements and we were just really excited about mixing the two together you know
0: and do you get as excited about drones as uh, I've heard Spud does yes (laughs)
3: yes drones are really exciting <laughs> uh, I mean your brain is trying to figure out like you know it has to it, it has to do work and you almost kind of feel like I don't know if everybody else feels like this I'm sure maybe you know my mother or something mightn't <laughs> might appreciate drones as much Day, as me daytime radio listeners <laughs> might not appreciate drones the, but then again like there's a lot of drone elements in say traditional music or folk music or whatever there's a lot of that in there too so that is also an organic thing but um yeah there's just this kind of almost hypnotic feeling that kind of happens to my brain when when there's something like that happening and these waves are like entering your ears in a certain way and it, it's kind of fully like body effective like you know I definitely get like a feeling in my stomach about it or like goosebumps full goosebumps about it or when something when a sound is really like hitting the right place or the right spot so um yeah we definitely had a lot of fun doing that um and probably having to eliminate a lot of that as well <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. going overboard for a while and then having to strip it back so yeah
0: so you you see this like when i think of katie kim i think solo but it is very much a collaborative affair isn't it like you've got so you mentioned the strings that's Kate Ellis from Crash Ensemble isn't it? Mm -hmm.
3: Kate Ellis and a a friend of mine Shane O'Brien actually who who used to play with Katie Kim way back in the day when we when I was living in Waterford so he played violin with me back then and he's living in Dublin now so I got him to come back in to do violins but Kate yeah Kate did loads of string work which completely elevated the album just yeah it brought it to a whole new place.
0: And Pete is on the album as well. as she? She's does doing some, some backing vocals. Rady
3: does some singing. Rady does some Bayan as well. What's a Bayan? A Bayan is like a big... It's like it's like a big accordion. A big bassy accordion for is, is
0: that the thing that you'd see her playing with Lancome when she's sitting on the floor and...
3: That's a harmonium. Oh,
0: okay.
3: Uh, it's a really amazing sounding thing. And then also Spud also tried to turn <laughs> Rady's voice into a synthesizer. Uh because he can do that apparently so we also tried to get synthesized rady voice in there and i think we did we it's it's in there but you know it's you see if you can detect it or not yeah and then we have ellie playing drums eddie myler of percolator playing drums and then we also have sarah grimes playing drums as well sarah was in grave goods she used to be in september girls um sarah is just a really great drummer she plays with loads of different people yeah, and then Spot also playing, Spot playing synthesizers and, and playing bass, and yes, yeah, so there's loads of friends that came into. It's
0: good. It certainly sounds like the biggest album that you've made. I think. I don't know. Would you agree with that? It's like there. There are sometimes where it's like a whole push wall of wall of oh I hate to use that note, that uh that cliche, sound? but it's a wall of sound at some point. Yes, well,
3: I'll take it? wall of sound. I like it. Yeah, yeah, it, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it, do, it does. Feel like it? Do you know? It's very funny. I suppose I was always very embarrassed before to ask people to like contribute to any album that I was doing or something. I don't know why. Um, Musically. Yeah, like I thought, I found it very difficult to be able to like send an email and say, "Hey, I'm making this album. Would you like to be involved?" Or I have no idea why. I just was like, "Oh, they're never going to want to." with me it's Mm. never you know lots of self-doubt there obviously but um i this time around spud was just like listen if you want strings ask you know go kate would you know ask kate and we should get ready and then i said it to radi and she's like oh yeah we should do this and that and and then eventually it's just like oh this is so silly of course you know i could just ask you know people that i admired come in and just do stuff so this time around i wasn't afraid to ask people to contribute and also you know spending the time to really, really do it right. And I mean, so like we went out to re studio to do like really good intensive work with Kate and the cello and just, you know, not stop, just go, okay, let's do another take with something else and another take with something else and another take with something else. And eventually, like, I'm just really happy that we ended up getting it to sound like really orchestral. And yeah, so I'm really proud of that. And I think it probably is the largest kind of sound or the fullest sound so far from the albums yet
0: and are you happy with it are you like glad that this is like the the best way that you can uh, sign off on on Katie Kim
3: (laughs) I'm really happy with it yeah I'm really proud of it um I mean I've listened to it a lot I have listened to it a lot while we were making it so I haven't listened to it in a long time we're just bringing out a new video now actually so I've had to listen to Eraser quite a lot recently because I edited the video as well um, but I'm definitely still able to presently listen to it while, I, while I'm doing some of the editing for the videos and not, you know, get frustrated because, you know, before sometimes, I don't know, it's difficult to listen to your music over and over and over and over again. It gets like a bit repetitive. I'm still enjoying listening to it uh, at the moment anyway so far. So yeah, I think I am proud of it and I think I do really like it
0: eraser is one of the uh songs that i was reading about in the press release that came to you like late at night while watching all the president's men yeah yeah all the president's men good film great film
3: one of the best films
0: yeah one of the best films okay of all time yeah yeah (laughs) just a a good journalism film you know i just think they're they're always just really really good
3: oh yeah 100 percent, absolutely and also you know i wasn't really a massive fan of that it, what, was the, what was it what was called the post but it's really good to watch the post and then all the president's men straight after oh, okay, it it's a yeah, really yeah. really good double bill because yeah. it <laughs> leads straight into the watergate thing um yeah it's that's really funny it's just the, the it's why the wheel Race while you hide uh lyric just came to me straight away because you know the the scene of these people entering the offices in like a torchlight and stuff and go into <laughs> um yeah so i mean i could have probably made up a better story about what the song is about, but it was the truth I literally it was just after watching all the presidents men.
0: yeah that's one of the things I was trying to do while like I haven't listened to the album loads I was trying to see is there a through line like to it and then I was reading about that and I was like maybe there isn't I don't, I don't, <laughs> you know like maybe it's just about like different films that you were watching late at night I don't know is, is there any that's sort actually
3: of... a really good concept I should I should have said that but I mean like I was saying though I was I was just really like watching lots of movies and movies that I loved and listening to soundtracks so it's really possible that the songs Mm -hmm. could have been inspired by movies and soundtracks and things because uh, you know I wasn't particularly inspired by any particular artist or um, time in my life or something but um, so maybe I don't know (laughs)
0: do you have a favorite song on the album while you're still listening to it and still maybe enjoying listening to it as well do you have any favorite song that you might want to talk about
3: the one that i think that is quite uncharacteristic of me um would be and probably the most collaborative would be a song called golden circles Suddenly don't like me Suddenly don't like Tendency to like go to the waltz, you know, like um, waltz on within rhythm on within my songs, so as in
0: da, 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 da.
3: dum 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 dum. Like I tend to do that quite a lot because I'm not a classically trained pian, uh, pianist, and I like so I, I I taught myself. So I'm still very uh, I'm still I'm, I'm a, like I'm a huge amateur on on the keyboard, you know. Or on the piano as well. Um, but so I tend to go to the waltz a lot because I find it like a safe place and it's like and I and I, and I have my favourite pretty chords that I like to go to. <laughs> um so I brought in this song into Spud, so suddenly was actually I mean a lot of the songs were waltzes and Spud was like, Okay, come on, we've got to get away from the Waltz. <laughs> but I suddenly was a waltz. Um so it was like Suddenly, don't I? Dun, 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 so it was quite like plinky plonky, playful kind <laughs> of a sound. I actually showed it to Kate Ellis and she was playing along with me. Um, and then I showed Spud the recording of her playing along with me. And he went, Why don't we take out the, the plink plonk and see if we can try and just make it a you and a cello song? Um, so Kate kind of just came up with all of these really strange, like, flourishes of notes and things along the cello. And we recorded so much of those takes for that particular song that I remember listening to it with Spud and going, oh, my God, how the hell are we going to, like, make this into, like, a song, quote-unquote, because it was just so freeform Um but Spud did like really, really amazing arranging job on finding like the finding the body in it and the rhythm in it and finding where the swells went really well with the with the lyrics and with my melodies and uh, I just think it turned out really lovely and strange and kind of dreamy um, and that so that really was a full collaborative project because Spud arranged it, you know. Ki- uh, Kate, you know, did all those cellos and then it was just kind of my melody so I really, really like that mm, yeah. yeah, that's De- kinda... d- It's definitely not a daytime radio hit but I, <laughs> I like it melodically and musically
0: Have you ever tried to write like a specific like three minute pop song that like this is for the radio like even not yourself
3: Like just messing
0: <laughs> Yeah, like I've I mean I've talked to people who have really tried to do that and they can do it but I don't think that they they know that it's not them
3: yeah, they should just release it under a different name.
0: <laughs> yeah, give the yeah, song away. Exactly.
3: Uh, I mean, I had a friend like David Jacob, he goes under the name Encryptor. I don't know if he'd like me saying this now, but but he makes like super, super hardcore like stuff like techno. And, um, and he was kind of saying like, you know, I, I think I could definitely make like really palatable like house music. That could make me loads of money and I could just put it under a different name, you know? Yeah.
0: Easy. But just doesn't want to maybe? Maybe he does. Nobody maybe ever feels nobody
3: ever feels oh who knows he could <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, he could be Tiesto or something.
0: It's it's interesting hearing you talk about kind of that you have your own ways of working, just you know, like your the the tropes that you kinda of go back to both in writing or, or music. Because I'm always impressed like more and more impressed nowadays by acts which show longevity. You know, you've been doing putting out music for fifteen years or, or more probably. Um I always think that you're learning as you go and that you're always like, uh, you know, showing your experience by what you by the new, you know, by the the fifth album that you do. But I never thought that you you go the other way and that you can kind of get stuck in your routine as well. And you almost need to be shaken out of it, if that makes sense. I wonder do a lot of other like. It just seems like there are fewer and fewer artists like that just because longevity of acts just isn't there. Yeah. A lot of the time. So I think in one respect, fair play to anybody who's able to make it to their fifth album. And then yeah, I I I didn't really know that you could that you could kind of get stuck in your ways as well. Yeah. And and actually realizing that you're stuck in your ways as well.
3: I mean, I suppose it's like uh- I suppose, well, it's because, well, personally, I was going to say it's kind of like maybe like if authors pick different aliases to do different kind of styles of writing or something like that. But like also if my ears are bored, then I don't want to continue to like continue writing something like a song or whatever. Like if my if I'm in the middle of writing a song and I don't feel anything exciting about it or if I'm just like oh, a bit bored by it, then, you know, I'm not going to finish writing the song it's really like my ear, my ears that are telling me that they're kind of a little bit tired and sick of it and need something different, you know. So, I mean, maybe some artists are really happy within their, like, happy and comfortable within, like, the kind of music that they do. And a lot of time, if they have people that buy their albums or if they have, like, a fan base, the fan base probably wouldn't be very happy about them trying something new or like Neil Young making hmm. like rock albums. <laughs> people I, hated him when he did that.
0: Yeah. I I enjoy it though as well because you have people like Arctic Monkeys say who, you know, they have their big bombastic bombastic rock album and then suddenly they go make tranquility base hotel and casino and you're like,
2: "What the fuck? Have
0: they?" I haven't yeah, listened to Arctic oh Monkeys man, in a long I, time. I think you'd really like the new album. Really? Well, the new album that came out like 2 or 3 years ago. Oh. Yeah, it's it's uh it's almost like a, a concept album of he's like being David Bowie or something in this fake uh hotel on the moon. Something like that. Wow. Something like that. But it sounds nothing like you'd imagine an Arctic Monkeys album to sound like. Wow. So I don't know if Yeah, I think I think that they were kind of tired of the fans that they were attracting. Yeah. Which happens to a lot of big bands like that, yeah. you know, they can see their fan base turning. So they wanted a complete left turn. They yeah. say they don't want to go back to making uh, you know, those big rock
3: well, that's very brave, especially because you know I'm pretty sure their their record companies wouldn't like that. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, yeah. So you have a show coming up in the Button Factory on September 10th. Is it your only show for the rest the of the only year?
2: Only show. Yes.
3: Is it is it
0: the last show? The final show?
3: <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm gonna do a sh- I'm gonna do this show here in Dublin. I'm gonna do one in Berlin, and then I'm gonna do one in London in the New Year. Um and i don't know about after that i don't know you're looking forward to it um, I am excited and i'm really nervous um but yes, excited and nervous um but excited to like play music again and have yeah and play with people on stage because i'm going to have some people play with me i'm not going to be completely alone this time. And also Troll Fodina are going to be supporting. So I'm really, really excited to see them as well.
0: They, they're a folky trad type band, are they?
3: Like experimental, folky trad, strange. Like a lot of it is improvised on the spot. A lot of electric elements as well. Um, really interesting. You should check, check, check them out on Bandcamp. So it's T-R-A for the P-H-A for the I-D-I for the N.
0: Well done. <laughs> um, do you want to play a game? I usually uh, let people know when I'm interviewing them, uh, like that I want to ask this, but like a favorite Irish act from the past. Do you think from the
1: past? Yeah,
0: like a band that maybe done, finished, or someone that you want to shout out who doesn't get enough love. Oh. And a band from the present, and a band from the future. So Trowfudding can be your.
3: Trowfudding can be my band from the future. Band from the past that I miss, uh, Irish. Yeah. Roller, roller Skate Skinny.
0: Oh, yeah. I don't really know much about Roller Skate Skinny.
3: I know, they're like a little mysteries. It's like two albums, one album that you can kind of get, another album that you just can't get at all. Um,
0: online. It's just not there.
3: Uh, even online, you can't get yeah. it anywhere. No, it doesn't exist anymore. Maybe on Discogs or something, but I don't know how to navigate that website. It's very <laughs> difficult. Um, yeah Speed to My Side is one of my all time favourite songs ever written of all time of all time
0: when were they were they like the early 2000s or were they the late 90s 90s I'm pretty sure
3: I thought Early nineties, maybe? Oh. Like Mid nineties?
0: That'll tell you how how little I know because some sometimes acts just kind of get forgotten about, and I feel like they're maybe one of those Irish acts who people
3: Yeah. I went to New York actually recently and I was going around like asking for jobs and uh the, the guy from Old Skate Skinny, the singer from Old Skate Skinny was one of the people behind the bar that I was asking for a job and just had to pretend that I didn't know that it was oh, him. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So
0: are you thinking about moving to New York again?
3: I don't know. It, yeah. it was a big move. I sold everything. I had to go through that whole visa process. I had to, uh, like, I'm, I am i don't know. We'll see. Who knows what the future holds. But that visa process was a nightmare and trying yeah. to do it again. I don't know if I want to do it anytime soon. But never say never.
0: <laughs> uh, current Irish band or act that you're enjoying a lot?
3: So many. I mean I'm a huge Percolator fan (laughs) Um, But Maria Maria Somerville Oh yeah yeah
0: She does the NTS breakfast show as well doesn't she Uh, She does and I believe she's got
3: a new release Coming out soon as well Um, So I'm a big fangirl of Maria's Yeah.
0: Is it just kind of the style of music that she's making Is it almost her her kind of um, Belief in herself as well You know she just kind of She seems to be one of those artists who really just does What she wants to do and she doesn't really care about anybody else yeah. Thinks that's how I think of her anyway.
3: Yes, definitely. Um she's just like super sound and very cool and makes lovely music that I enjoy listening to a lot and the aesthetic I really like as well, you know. Um it's very mysterious and very hazy and very woozy, and I I really like that. Yeah.
0: And um, Irish actor of the future, Traw 14.
3: Traw 14. There we go.
0: There we go. Look forward to seeing them uh, supporting you on September tenth. Uh, thanks for having me in Gorilla Studios.
3: Thank you for coming here and witnessing it. <laughs> anyway, okay, so yeah, yeah. Cool. Thanks, thanks, for Owen. Chats. Thanks a million.
0: Eraser by Katie Kim off their fifth and final album, Hour of the Ox. Katie Kim plays The Button Factory on September 10th. You can buy the record at katiekim.bangham.com and tickets for the show are available on Eventbrite. Now, as usual, we have some music to end the show. We only have one track this week because, well, we've had plenty over the course of the two interviews, I hope you agree. John Dogg is an independent artist from Galway and releases the single Under the Bed today, Wednesday, September 7th. He's released a couple of albums over the years, such as Battery-Powered Mystery Action in 2011 and The Random Walk in 2013. A song called London Falling came out at the start of summer 2022 and Under the Bed follows at the end of summer today. Here's John Dogg to explain a little bit about the track and then we'll hear it in full.
4: Hi, this is John Dog. I'm an independent musician from Galway and I'd like to tell you about my new single, Under the Bed. I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel overwhelmed by the information, fire hose of news and social media and so on. And this song is a kind of a cartoony fantasy about escaping that. Um, musically, it, it, the song tries to reflect the anxiety attack that is the so it's uh, pretty colourful and frantic, I hope. Uh, in retrospect, I guess the sound I was going for was if the band playing while the Titanic was sinking was uh, a rockabilly band that was also falling down the stairs. Uh, if you like this, you might also enjoy London Falling, my single from earlier this year. That's actually quite a sad song about Brexit. Uh, but it does have a really fun parody monster movie video that I would urge you to investigate. Uh, it's right there on YouTube. If you want to know more about me and my work, uh, you can go to JohnDog.org, and by all means, uh, you can find me on Twitter also at uh, at John Dog Songs. Um, so. Under the Bed, the song you're going to hear today uh, will be on all the streamers on September 7th and it'll be available on Bandcamp to buy where it will have a B-side that you won't get anywhere else. So can I just say I'm really thrilled that you're going to hear the song today and uh, um, thank you so much to Owen and The Point of Everything podcast for featuring it and uh, I really hope you like it. Um, Thank you.
2: The dawn of a new millennium is blinding It seems history hasn't ended after all Let mavens declare Hashtag It's all unwinding I've made a land Where I don't hear such fall, dear, Under the bed That's where you'll find me Until further notice Till the noise drops And the world stops seeing red Under the bed With two hundred smokes Some weed of vodka and a ton of beer, it's nice here under the bed, you can say I'm copping out but man you're gonna have to shout it through the door, cause while half the human race cuts off its nose despite its face, I'll be in the ball on the floor, under the Watching cartoons and non-stop clips of cute and funny critters. There is no Twitter under the bed. You can say I'm in denial, but I'll just smile while I try to make it clear. Oh, I insist there's nothing wrong. Hey man, don't make me sing the song La 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 la, I can't hear you. Under the bed sure i'll come out maybe eventually and hope i don't see my local barbies now just dread under the bed feeling nostalgic for a brighter future so, till mighty big fly of the doctor arrive to fix where history led, I'll be under the bed.
0: That's Under the Bed by Galway artist John Dog. Thanks to John for sending on the voice note ahead of it and the track itself. You can go to johndog.bandcamp.com if you want to hear more. And that's the end of the show. Thanks to Junior Brother and Katie Kim for the chats. Go indulge in the Great Irish Famine and Hour of the Ox because they're two of the best albums of the year. Also out this week, another album of the year contender is Galway producer Dahi's third LP, I'm Here Now. And guess who's the guest on next week's show? I think you can put it together. Until then, have a good one, folks. Thanks for listening.